Hello, everyone, and welcome to Soda Soccer's Post Loons, a one-of-a-kind one-stop shop uh, for all sorts of things. Uh, post-match, post-match, post-match reaction, analysis, discourse, uh, everything you want uh, on uh, on your uh, Minnesota United game chatter. Um, I am not Jeremy Rushing, as you have probably noticed. I am Eli Hoff, an occasional guest who is now in the driver's seat, uh, but joined by the very experienced Dominic Jose Bisonio. Dom, how are you doing? What were you? Uh, what What's the immediate immediate temperature after a rain lengthened game? We'll call it. Uh, yeah, I'm good. It's it's great to be on here. Uh, yeah, immediate temperature is uh is I think a little lukewarm. Not not too freezing. Not blistering hot, but uh, definitely a unnecessarily mild lukewarm. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think. Um, I can't imagine being one of the people in the stadium tonight, but I think they would all take being lukewarm right now. Uh, so I'd, I'd think we have to feel pretty good having watched uh, from home there. Um, we do want to start with a, a quick thank you for the sponsors who make this all possible over at Soda Soccer, those being Stimulus Athletic, Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee, and Pence Homes. We'll hear more about them later, uh, but we do thank them for their support in making Post Loons possible. Uh, we also do, we want to hear from you. We want your takes. Uh, we want your insight, um, all of, all of that, uh, feel free to drop that in the comment section. Um, we are, we are able to see that, um, and we will bring that up on the screen and, and, uh, and go through your feedback. Um, I guess we'll, uh, we'll start off with our, uh, kind of three things, three takes here. Dom, your, uh, your first thing that, that you brought up was that the attack still lacks real rhythm. What were your kind of, what were your thoughts on the attack there? Yeah, you know, it felt uh, it felt like there were plenty of periods of time where we had the ball, where we were moving the ball forward, but there were also just consistently moments where where players that are needed to perform well in the attack, the Reynosos, the Amarias, were uh, were just not. It didn't seem like they were all kind of plugged into the same output. Uh, it seemed like you know multiple times Amaria, for example, just as as an example which is kind of make a pass to, to nothing or to a Nashville player. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that's not, I'm not saying simply him because I think it was just him. I think it was most of the, most of the front half of the, of the team had moments like that. But, uh, but certainly when your striker's part of that, that causes a lot of big problems. So uh, yeah, it felt like there wasn't a lot of, I don't know if it's an issue with literal communication or sort of uh, subconscious communication body language but uh, it didn't seem like there was a lot of understanding in big moments between the key attacking players yeah i I agree with that assessment i think uh one of the one of the interesting things about this game was that i I really expected minnesota to kind of lean into the speed of its counterattacks because that's an easy way to beat nashville's press is just to get through their lines so quickly so that all of a sudden there's only three guys behind the ball that's something that seattle was able to do last week and it worked but Minnesota, and, and granted, you know, it's a rainy game that slows everything down. So maybe this just comes with one fat grain of salt as far as that's concerned. But it felt like there were communication issues just in the counters that they weren't as kind of like snappy as you expect them to be with kind of one-touch passing that there were times where the counterattack stalled just because the pass was played behind a little bit or just the run wasn't, you know, where it seemed like some of these players thought it was going to be. And that slowed the attack down. That lets Nashville catch up. And then all of a sudden, the attack's just not as potent as you thought it was going to be so I, I think you're absolutely right there uh rhythm did prove to be an issue and a limiting factor in some of those counters uh, uh my biggest thing that i that i 
found interesting was just how much the midfield really does matter. Uh, we had a really, really great game from Asani Dotson, aside from the goal, because that wasn't even really related to his play in midfield. He was just in the right place at the right time, which is, is good and fantastic. Uh, but Will Trapp struggled in the first half. He's an excellent passer. Excellent passer. His passing his passing completion percentage, I want to say, I, I don't have the number in front of me. I think it was like 72%, uh, which is not what he's, that's not his usual standard. He finished the game at about 80, uh, which is more what you expect from Will Trapp. But that makes a difference. Uh, meanwhile, Hassani Dotson played as more of the connector that I think we, we kind of want him to be and that he kind of needs to be in that number eight role. So I think seeing two sort of differing performances, Will Trapp struggling in the first half, but Hassani being great throughout this game, I think, uh, you know, we, we we saw sort of what the midfield might look like for this team. Um, and I'm, I'm more convinced by Hassani as, as the eight here. Um, you know, obviously, Kervin Arriaga is still going to have a say, and, and Will Trapp's going to be better than he is tonight. Uh, but that influence of the midfield really made a difference. And, and with a team like Nashville that's going to press so much, uh, that midfield becomes even more important as far as building out of the bat goes. And, you know, Nashville's press worked. There were times where it won the ball higher up than, you know, would be optimal. But it, it wasn't blowing apart this defense like I thought it could. And, um, and, and, some of that, some of that comes down to uh, to Hassani being a good connector there. Dom, any any thoughts on the midfield? Yeah, no, I I, th- I think I I agree with really everything you said there. I think uh, you know leading into this game, uh, I think everyone kind of expected Trap would start, and also there was conversation about how positive people felt about Ariaga after the first game in Philly, uh, and of course it seems like he was uh, not available for today. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I think. I, I agree with everything you said about the performance today. I thought overall, uh, Trap and Dotson looked very, very good together. I think there's a good dynamic there, and uh, which is is great because it would seem to be that they're going to be the designated two for those positions. So obviously, you want what the coach wants to be playing to to be what works, uh, and and that's also encouraging in the sense that it means Ariaga is going to have real competition for minutes. You know, it's it's not going to be easy for him to get those. Uh, Trap's return very much made that clear. So uh, I, I think that's a good takeaway from an overall mild game is that we have three guys that deserve minutes in those various positions, and uh, and that's that's never a bad thing. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, time for some some bongy talk. Um, Storyline of the second half: equalizer. You know, forget about the equalizer. We saw bongy. Yeah, I mean. I was really hoping that he would be the one to score. It didn't happen. But uh, yeah, Juan Juane was, uh, you know, I guess my first point was really about the, the miscommunication in the attack. And, and you brought up some of the, the slow moments or the sort of lack of uh, spontaneous, you know, uh, quick passes on the counter, that sort of thing. Uh, felt like as soon as he came on, that's changed. And someone was doing that. Uh, and someone was making those quick runs, making those quick decisions, making those quick passes. Uh, and and doing them relatively well, and uh, that was really encouraging. You know, I, I, before the season started, there was a lot of plot lines about him that were mostly talking about the the silliness around some of the social media stuff around it, which was great. And we 10K did that too because it was funny. But uh, I think very few people were sure what he was actually going to be for this team as a player. You know, there was talk about is this more of a Minnesota United two player like what what is this who is this guy and how is he actually fit into the into the map for this you know MLS team and uh, particularly after tonight he did also play against Philly of course but particularly after tonight 
I actually feel like this is like a genuinely good player that could be playing MLS games for us like week in, week out. I don't necessarily think he's a starter, but uh, he very much seems like a, a, a good substitute to consistently have. I actually think it would be a mistake to kind of throw this guy down to MLS Next for, or MLS Next Pro for, you know, a month or two at a time. Uh, I think he should be staying with the first team. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so that's really encouraging because it, it's another option uh, that, uh, well, first off, another option they have, but an option that is bringing something that a lot of other players seem to be lacking right now, which is that that dynamism, that that sort of hunger and energy in the attack, being a little risky. And, uh, you know, a lot of what people say when they bring him up is sometimes he does things wrong. I don't even necessarily think he does that many things wrong, <laughs> but I, I thought I, I think that's a little overplayed almost. But um, but, you know, he those risky moves are, are often necessary, particularly against a team like Nashville, who's very good at defending. So, uh, yeah, I didn't quite play out tonight in the sense that he didn't create a goal. But uh, I think he showed tonight he has real potential with this team at this specific level. And uh, I think that's absolutely wonderful. I think that's a lot more than everyone expected. Yeah, absolutely. I again, I like you, and I think like everyone else, I really didn't know what to expect beyond there would just be some Twitter hubbub when he entered the game, and of course there was. We got our moment, but I, I was right away his his first you know run he made down the left flank and, and dribbled in. I was kind of shocked because one, as a younger guy entering a new team, and you know, yeah, he played in Philly, but this is significant minutes. You know, that's just that takes some confidence and some gusto to just take the ball and do what he was doing tonight. And so that's encouraging from kind of a confidence standpoint, but I think also more tactically, he really filled the Franco Fragapane role really well of, you know, Reynoso is going to be the guy with the ball and that's fine, but the system, and, and I'll talk about this a little bit. It's my third thing. My spoiler now is just what happens when Reynoso can't be the guy with the ball. How do you find a way so that he can work off ball uh, that requires somebody else to be the one who's going to dribble and advance the ball. And, Bonky did that, like did that really, really well. And he, he was working through traffic and stuff and, um, and, and it looked good. You know, there are times where you sort of wish once he gets into traffic that he kind of finds a way to get more directly out of traffic, like just kick the ball out to somebody else instead of trying to, to maintain control. But that's me saying that as someone who can't dribble through traffic to save my life and is, you know, sitting here in a comfy leather chair, 500 miles away, watching this on my laptop. Like my criticism there is, is just null and void. So I'm I'm really encouraged by that. Um, him getting 45 minutes in a game like this, even if it was broken up and rain soaked, just kind of chaotic for most of it, that's still really good for development. So um, I, I think it's both a good thing that he's going to get playing time. Um, you know, hopefully an injury to Fragapani, a hamstring thing, isn't more than just hopefully it's contained to this game and it was being on the cautious side because those hamstring injuries can just stick around. Uh, but he earned his playing time and, and he took advantage of it. Uh, seems to have a really good skill set that's going to fit with this team, so I'm certainly excited there. Uh, my second thing here is about defensive depth because I think with two games here, we've seen this kind of makeshift backline. I'm feeling pretty confident with my evaluation of defensive depth that the combo we saw in the second half of this game has to be the go-to depth combo now, which feels weird to be talking about a go-to depth combo, but I just I have a feeling that we're going to be talking about depth with this defense a lot this year. Uh, O'Neill Fisher did not bring much on the right, but all of a sudden you bring him to the left and his game completely changed, actually. Um, I'll probably tweet it once we're done here, but for, for folks who are so inclined, go to MLSsoccer.com, go to the stats page of this game, go to player stats, scroll all the way down to the chalkboard and click on just O'Neill Fisher to see what his contributions were. 
And you can see when he got moved to the left side, he was getting drastically farther up the pitch. He was actually playing like a fullback and contributing to the attack, uh, which wasn't something that was really happening in the first half. So he's definitely going to look better on the left than the right. I think we learned that. I think we learned that DJ Taylor can contribute and look fine there. Uh, Debassi is a left back. He played much better this game than the Philly game. You know, some of those crosses, that one cross that just missed on Maria's head was, that was a dime. That was beautiful. Uh, he looked really good there, got moved in. I'm not, we'll talk about subs at some point, I'm sure. I was a little confused as to why exactly taking Coleman out at halftime was the decision. He seemed to be having a pretty good game, but, uh, you know, his his passing was something I had never seen him pass the ball like this, like he did tonight with that back heel and some of his diagonals. Um, so it was a good game for defensive depth, but I think we learned a couple key things that DJ Taylor's a fine fill-in. O'Neal Fisher's probably better on the left. Um, and, and you know, that it'll be really nice to uh, to have Chase Gasper back, to have Roman Metinair back, and, and Debassi staying tucked in the whole time. Uh, but but an encouraging performance, I think, from, from the defensive depth. Uh, the goal aside, and we will get to that, that was not good. But outside of that, Lock down a good attacking unit. Yeah, I, I definitely think uh, to your point, the, the, how you started your point. I, th- I think that before we ended uh, the game on with Taylor coming in, uh, that seems like a more suitable four defenders uh, moving forward. Now, obviously, we'll see what happens if they have to play the Rebels, <laughs> um, which are you know maybe we'll we'll look a little silly in a week, but uh, but off of what we have to work with. They looked pretty good tonight, and they certainly uh, did a decent job of shutting down the various moments that Nashville had in the attack in the second half. So, uh, you know, Taylor maybe a little more natural in that position, and as you as you noted, um, O'Neill, you know, um, looked a lot better when he switched sides. And I mean, it's too bad that maybe we found that out this late, but but you know, it, once you know, you know. So. Uh, I, I, I'm curious if we see them as as the the set four for the next game. Obviously, there's a, a week of preparation before that gets decided. But uh, yeah, uh, I agree that that was that was uh, interesting. Interesting two different back fours that we got to watch tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. That kind of, in a way, goes into my my third point, just in the sense that substitutions were at play in the defense uh, tonight. Uh, in that, uh, you know, this has been kind of like a, a narrative for a long time uh, with with this team. Um, and while in MLS, uh, being coached by Adrian Heath, uh, which is that there was an unused substitution tonight uh, with you know what most people would debate is either our first or second best striker on the bench, uh, and uh, you know that seemed like a very interesting call to me. Obviously, the first two substitutions were done right around halftime, so they were used actually quite early, uh, and and to great effect for what it's worth. I, I don't want to ignore that those were maybe good substitutions or, or good players to bring on. But uh, it was a little strange to me to have a game at 1-1, particularly because, you know, one could argue Amaria did not have a great game and to have Unu on the bench and just decide to do nothing with him. Uh, that was an interesting call to me. I, I, I don't, I, maybe there was a, a reason for it, um, but just off of what I saw, I don't quite know why you wouldn't bring him on for the last 10 minutes. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that's been an a issue some people have had with this team for, for years now, um, not always using all the substitutes they have or using them when needed. And uh, it maybe is a slight concern to continue to see that 
and a year that we suspected would have a lot of substitution of strikers and a lot of rotation of strikers. Uh, tonight, we literally saw none of that. So that that that's a little concerning for me. Um, you know, obviously, if someone had banged in a goal at the end and we'd won two one, it wouldn't have been as noticeable. But uh, it, it, it's it's noticeable either way, and it's especially noticeable when you don't win. So curious to see if that is the start of a trend or the return of a trend, or if you know maybe next game we we see a more usual rotation of strikers. Yeah, I think one of the substitutions that was kind of in my mind too was just bringing on Dunlady for load even. It's just, you know, Abu can kind of play in that winger role if need be or just turn that into another striker role. Um, I, who knows what sub availability looked like in guys having chances to warm up warm up with that second half being what it was. Um, but yeah, in a, in a game, when, especially once National just kind of fully committed to bunkering there really those last 10, 15 minutes. And it was even, it was, it was beyond that, but really those last 10, 15, you know, they were just, playing their little 4-4-2 block and not shifting out of it too much, why not throw on another another striker to try to push up a little bit? And, you know, it's another target for a long ball. Um, and, and I agree with you there. You know, I'm sure someone will ask Adrian about it in this press conference, and we'll see on Twitter soon here um, what the what the thinking was there. Because, yeah, again, you know, only, only using two of the subs. Um, my third thing here uh, was what I alluded to earlier, uh, that Reynoso's number two is still a problem, not in the bathroom sense, but in the on-the-field sense of um, who is, who's going to be the complementary player alongside of him, um, who's going to be the one to, uh, to be able to work with the ball at their feet and allow Reynoso to slip off ball. Uh, you know, he, Reynoso's being man-marked for parts of the match tonight, and that's, that's going to complicate things for him, and that means the attention has to be shifted elsewhere uh, someone else has to dribble with it. I think usually it's it's Franco Fragapane, uh, but he, you know, I'm a fan of his, but he can be inconsistent at times. And if you know if he's going to miss time here with a hamstring injury, you know who steps up into that second role is going to be a factor. Um, Robin Lud's great, but he isn't really an on the ball creator. You know, most of what he's going to do is going to be making runs and you know passing, shooting stuff like that. It's not really going to be actually making things things happen with the ball at his feet too much. Is that going to be bonky? It could be. It very well could be, uh, but I think there's still a question mark over who's going to work with Reynoso because Reynoso looks a whole lot better in every situation when he's freed up more uh, to to not have that primary load-bearing responsibility, even though he's going to have that, but just not be the only source of offense uh, because it becomes easier to take one guy out of the game than when he becomes the only focus for the back line. So I think figuring out who else can kind of advance the ball, carry that load, uh, you know, soak up some some defensive attention just to give Reynoso some time to make a few runs and get open and off the ball. Uh, that's that's going to be a factor going forward for this attack, especially when we look at it in these sort of not counterattack scenarios where everybody's kind of moving and getting open, but in some of these breaking breaking on the block in possession moments, uh, that that's where it really becomes evidence that you, you watch Minnesota in possession and there are times where it just doesn't feel that convincing that they're ever actually going to break through. It feels like it's going to have to come on a set piece or a counter. And those are both great opportunities, don't get me wrong, um, but creating creating chances through possession is is a necessary thing as well yeah uh you know i i think it's an interesting point you bring up there because uh it's exactly what i was feeling when this was starting to happen that point towards the end of the last 15 20 minutes of the game where it just kind of felt like i don't think this is anything's going to quite happen here uh it just didn't seem like any ideas were occurring that were going to have any danger um and uh an open play anyways mm -hmm. and uh 
yeah, that's a that's a rough thing to start feeling when you still got you know double digit minutes left in a game, uh, yeah. and at home, that's yeah. not uh, that's and, and you know, again we've kind of been talking all many of our points have in some way alluded back to sort of maybe concerns about the attack and um, and that that that's essentially you know the, the, that same idea again, but um, yeah, it, it's a little concerning to to see the home side with still some of a crowd uh, seeming to just kind of have run out of ideas, which again, I, I suppose then goes back to my, my point of maybe you should bring someone else on yeah. uh, who might have an idea, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it was tough. It was tough to see the well dry out a little bit uh, towards the end there. At the same time, I, you know, the asterisk that has to go over all of this, of course, is that Nashville are very good at doing this and mm-hmm. uh, we shouldn't ignore that. This didn't happen against FC Cincinnati. Uh, God bless them. Um, <laughs> you know, this was against a team that I mean, I, I think in the the last ten day episode when Jeremy and I were talking about this thing, we literally were talking about how like fate was against anyone who thought this wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and and by the way, John on his preview article got the scoreline right, one one. Yeah, so, he called it. Know. He called the draw. Granted, that was oh, also yeah. it was safe. Calling a draw in a national game is just that's a little too safe. I don't know <laughs> how much true. credit we can really give him. <laughs> a small amount of credit. Uh, yeah. but but so you know that that's obviously something to keep in mind is that this happened against a team that is very good at this specific kind of game. Uh, but to repeat what I believe I said in that that previous podcast, if you want to be the kind of team that's gonna climb up the table, get a high playoff spot, etc., have maybe silverware down the line. You kind of have to be one of those teams that can outsmart teams that are good at things. So uh, there, there, there's a, a buffer to the concern by the fact that Nashville does this a lot. But at the same time, there's a different kind of concern because you would hope that Minnesota United would be able to find that special moment to break that pattern. And they didn't. So Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We do want to take a moment to give a thank you to Stimulus Athletic. Uh, Stimulus Athletic founder and former Minnesota United player Jason Mora began supporting 10,000 pitches all the way back in summer 2020 when it was just a baby podcast uh, now being the Soda Soccer Super Machine, I think is the official name these days. Uh, but Jason has launched a company that can provide quality game gear and apparel at affordable prices to clubs and teams across all levels. This is a Minneapolis-based company doing great things for local, nationwide, and even worldwide clubs. Minneapolis City, Joy Athletic, Vlora, Dynamo St. Cloud, Tulsa Athletic, the American Outlaws, even the Anguian National Team all use Stimulus to outfit their club with the jerseys, game gear, and apparel they need. Stimulus can do the same for you. It is pretty simple. Just head to StimulusAthletic.com. That's uh, on the bottom of the screen there. Start a conversation with their amazing team and let them know that Jeremy from Soda Soccer sent you I'm ad-libbing here, and I think that we should say that Dom and Eli sent you. Maybe we get extra credit for hosting this, yeah, and <laughs> Jeremy feels silly for taking time away from Minnesota United and letting us run the show. Uh, so either way, tell them we sent you. Uh, check out a great brand with a, with a famous face of Minnesota soccer, and that is Stimulus. Um, I think next we need to talk about what happened on the Nashville goal uh, that was scored by them early on in the game. Uh, you know, just defensive sloppiness i think is maybe what it is from minnesota but but it, it feels almost worse than than that that it was you know three players there left unmarked you know o'neill fisher gets overloaded at the far post and he has two guys um again he's a great defender but ne- he marks neither of them i don't really blame him again it's kind of a, a caught in a pickle situation 
um, you know, Boxy is on the wrong side of his defender. He's on like the opposite side. So it's just, it's basically three guys right there at the far post being unmarked. It's a great ball from, from Dax McCarty in there. Um, but, but not a, not a good defensive situation. Um, is there any, is it, is it a bigger issue you think there with communication or, or what did you kind of see on that, on that first goal? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it also falls into the context of there was like a whole first 15 plus minutes of, of this game that just felt incredibly shaky just across the board. It felt like every Minnesota United player was just a little um, maybe nervous or at least visually seemed nervous anyways uh, with, with just, you know, movement of the ball and just, just every decision they're making. Uh, and, and perhaps the early goal played into, to the, into that lasting more than five minutes, but it certainly was also evident in those first five minutes leading up to the goal. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a weird one. You know, as you pointed out, this is, uh, you pointed out on Twitter um, as well, um, this is literally like a, a play that Nashville did a week ago. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, a little concerning because uh, you would imagine that that would be something you would want to, to prep for. Uh, it didn't seem like what any prep that had been done for that was, was, being brought to the forefront uh, when, when that situation developed. Uh, and, you know, I, I do think you made a good point in there where you mentioned that there were multiple players that kind of found themselves in uh, uh, in a pickle, I think is what you said, uh, where yeah. it's like, you know, they didn't do the right thing. At the same time, to be fair, I'm not sure what the right thing was. Yeah. You know, it, it was sort of a weird situation where, and, and perhaps what you take from all that is, that that back four plus Miller should be prepping in such a way that they do not create those situations for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's a concern. Uh, at the same time, you know, you, in team sports, crazy stuff happens and things happen fast. So, uh, you know, I can appreciate that they were trying to, in the moment, do what they thought they could do and that there weren't a lot of ways for them to cover all the bases they needed to cover. Um, mm-hmm. But to answer your question, yeah, I do think that there was a general sort of frazzled state in, in the back half of the team, especially the first 15 minutes of that game. And that they just they didn't quite seem almost in the same way we we're talking about rhythm in the attack. There wasn't really rhythm in the defense. There wasn't clear communication, clear ideas just sort of flowing between the defenders. Uh, and so then it became very easy for Nashville to do something to Minnesota in five minutes and what it took them, you know, 80 plus minutes to do to seattle uh which is is not great uh i i do think that you know we talked about a little bit before about the substitutions that i made in the defense it is worth then keeping in mind that something was done about it which is good and that it seemed to work uh Mm -hmm. that that's that's very important that that happens uh so on the one hand yeah i definitely was not happy with how the whole team looked the first 15 minutes especially the defense they, they seemed uncoordinated and, and a little confused at times. At the same time, I, I, I will credit Heath, who, you know, I was noting the lack of the third substitution, but huge credit to him for making the call early and right at halftime to address that, uh, and it seemed to work. But, uh, but yeah, you know, and to a degree, I think the Philly game started a little bit frazzled as well, but that's something that Minnesota needs to work on, you, especially at home and especially against good teams. You simply cannot start slow. If they start slow against the Red Bulls at New York or at New Jersey, technically, uh, that's going to be a disaster, right? They scored four goals in the first half today, the Red Bulls, against Toronto, in Toronto. Uh, So, 
you know, it, it didn't end up being horribly damning tonight, but I could very well see against the Rebels or, God forbid, uh, uh, San Jose, who defend quite poorly but showed tonight they can score goals. Uh, both of those are teams that could very easily punish you for slow starts. So it's something mm-hmm. that needs to be addressed without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. I think the, the thing that, that kind of made it frustrating for me is just that the, the first five minutes, ten minutes, really, you know, the first probably half hour is when the game plan should hold up. Because, you know, you, you, the reason you don't tend to always see a lot of action in those times is because it's, you know, teams are still sticking to the script. They're still feeling each other out. They're saying, okay, you know, recognizing things they saw in film the week before and things like that, you know, it's, it's very much that process. So then for something like this to happen, that again, it's it's a chaotic opportunity that's created, but it's a chaotic opportunity that happens because on a team level, there's a breakdown and there's an overload. Again, overloads happen. Like it's it's good play from Nashville. This is what they did to get a goal against Seattle last week. They almost got another goal out of it later in the in the first half. I tweeted that clip too, uh, where this was when Debassi was still playing left back. He got tucked in really centrally. He was right by the penalty spot. Sure enough, Leal goes and just parks on, on the outside of, of where Debassi is an easy overload luckily Debassi recognized it and you could tell as soon as he cut over and saw Leal he started moving back over uh which again kind of tells me this was something that was part of the game plan because immediately he went to close it down but it still led to an opportunity for Nashville this was something that this is something that Nashville does in addition to all the pressing it seems like they like to overload the far post um so you know it's an unfortunate thing and, and I do think it's hard to blame on an individual level because you know when we look at it we can say the wrong play was made, but what is the right play? Like you mentioned, uh, you know, for, for only official there, aside from, you know, getting ahead or some part of his body on the ball, I'm not sure what he does to defend two guys there. Right. For Michael Boxell, he was on the right side of his player when the initial ball got sent in, but then when the second ball's coming across the goal, he's on the wrong side, aside from being able to, you know, teleport through a player. I'm not really sure what he's able to realistically do there because these are all like big, strong athlete people. It's not like he can just, you know, pick them up and, turn him even though if anybody could on this team it would be michael boxall so it, it, it's it's hard to be too nitpicky but um it's it's just one of those situations that's unfortunate i think is is probably the the easiest way uh the easiest way to put it and and not place too much individual blame and maybe more just sort of team or systematic blame early on um another thing that was just of, of note to me was was kind of a, a systematic disconnect with robin lud in the first half um, and, and even the second half too, he had a quieter game, but it's just, it, it felt like he, he wasn't being utilized much. And I know one of our, one of our commenters from last week said it, uh, in the Philly game, it felt like Lud was on an Island. Um, and now I disagreed with it last week. I would hundred percent agree with that sentiment this week that perhaps it was some of just O'Neill Fisher being the one on the right side there. And maybe it was just, you know, Will Trapp being a little off, uh, but, but it felt like he wasn't getting the usual opportunities that he would and and. I'd have to watch it back, but it, but it felt like he was still making the runs. He was still getting in the right spot. It's just, you know, maybe maybe he was being marked better. Uh, maybe it's a situation where, where guys just weren't passing to him. Um, I, I'm curious if you saw anything, Dominic, because it it, it just felt like a, a quieter game from him. I definitely noticed within the first half and then repeatedly noticed as the game uh, progressed that I was just not seeing much of anything to do mm-hmm. with him. Uh, to your point... I don't necessarily think that was, you know, about any him doing anything wrong. It was just he didn't really get the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there was definitely a focus on playing down down uh, the left at times. Um, 
And, and, and maybe, maybe you, you mentioned, you know, maybe Fisher being behind him has something to do with that as well. Just the, the way that adjusts his role. Um, yeah. I don't think against Philly, he was necessarily on an Island. Uh, and not just cause he scored that, that goal, but, but just in general, I didn't get that feeling from that game. I, I felt like I was regularly seeing him involved and, and receiving the ball and being part of the, of play. Uh, it just, yeah, it's, it felt like it really didn't happen today. Uh, I don't know if if Juanwane coming in at halftime also affects that a bit because that's a very specific kind of player and he's playing very differently than everyone else. I don't know if that, you know, his energy then kind of furthers the whatever the problem may be and 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 kind of sucks the air out of out of uh, Lode's camp a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting to see very little of him and to see very little opportunity for him, especially given uh, the positive impact he had week one. Uh, And again, you know, because the guys that were getting the ball in the attack were not necessarily at selling, it would have been interesting to see how, uh, you know, a shift, a tactical shift to focus more on Lod or get the ball to him more in certain positions, how that would have changed the game. We'd have very little way of knowing because it simply didn't happen much. Um, but I, I, I agree that it was it was very noticeable during the game, and then retrospectively, now that we know it ended one one, it's a little uh, it, it's regrettable to me because this is one of the guys that's been the most productive in the attack, and uh, you know in the same way that it, it kind of I kind of find myself confused about why you don't bring Nunu on in the last ten minutes, I find myself unsure of why you wouldn't, you know, even literally from the coach to the players verbally have some sort of note of, hey, play through load more, load more, you know, get him the ball more, play on his side more, figure something out, do this, you know, insert thing we do in training and and try to get more, get him more time on the ball because, again, this is one of the more statistically dangerous people we have on the pitch right now. Yeah, that, that's a little strange to me. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if if for some reason they felt it benefited them more to not use his side or to not use him in those situations, I would have liked to see more of it though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think there's a bigger picture question here about how to use LUD, but first to keep on pace uh, with our little agenda, we do want to highlight our friends over at Ninth street soccer and coffee. Uh, they're located in Northeast Minneapolis at 801 South Ninth street. They've got indoor five aside soccer plus a coffee shop. It's a fun little combination. Uh, they've opened up their new spring pickup times. There will be pickups six days a week, including two-hour pickup nights, Thursday women's only play, and Friday's 40-plus play so that you can start your weekend with a fun workout and stay Gen Z free on your Friday nights. Uh, make sure to follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at 9th Street MPLS to find out how to sign up. You can also learn more at 9thStreetMPLS.com. And uh, if the 9th Street folks are listening, uh, you should expand to Columbia, Missouri. We are a city down here that I think could use a fun little uh, indoor indoor soccer shop we have a lot more gen z so um i don't know how well the friday 40 plus nights would go we gen zers like to do things on friday nights uh but uh be sure to check out our friends over at night street and pls who are uh, again making this all possible with post loons and soda soccer i think there's a bigger picture question about how to use robin lud because we've seen him used really really differently in just about like it feels like every year he kind of has a different role for Minnesota, right? It came on as, okay, he's, you know, an inverted left winger. 
And then it was, you know, okay, maybe he's a right winger, but actually he's a false nine, right? And then, you know, there's been a little bit of number 10 action, and then now he's on the right wing again. And and so he's he's really been so versatile in the attack. But I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, actually, just what is the most effective way to use him? Because he doesn't feel too much like a conventional winger. That, you know, he's... He's not really, a, you know, going to run down and cross from the byline guy. And he's not like Fragapani that's going to be more of the take the ball and dribble and cut in sort of guy. You know, he's he's really sort of just in terms of positioning and passing being kind of his strengths. He's kind of a false nine who just is playing on the wing. So, like, I, I, I don't even know how to articulate that. But I'm just, you know, just the, the kind of invisibility today and kind of just weirdness of his style of play which is a good thing he's an excellent player and it's a good problem to have but i'm just i'm wondering if if we're going to have the bigger picture debate this year of what the most effective way to use robin load is yeah no i think you're onto something there and and while while i while i agree that i don't know if like the quite the right definition was was found there i think the problem is i don't think anyone knows it so so i don't you know if you had found it out tonight it would have been a big deal uh, Adrian, Heath would have, <laughs> yeah. Adrian Heath would have been very interested in your ideas, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's fine. You know, as, as you said, this has nothing to do with whether or not he's good or not. He's very good. He's a very talented player. Obviously, he's had you know uh, chunks of games at various points in time where he's been a big, big player for Minnesota United. That's without a doubt, including literally last week. Um, but to your point, yeah, it's it's hard to know quite what they should be dealing with him. Uh, I think the, you know, the left wing idea proved to not be the answer. I think Mm -hmm. that's pretty clear, but obviously there's a lot of other ways you can play a a forward player than just, just the left or the right wing. And at the right wing, he has not been bad, but when you see he has some really solid performances at that sort of false nine row, as, as you described it. And so you do wonder you know, is this a guy that we're maybe just playing here because he can play right wing, but that's not really where he should be playing. Uh, and of course, that's a problem because we we have all the other strikers in MLS. So yeah, uh, so the chances of him playing there uh, feel incredibly light to me. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen this year or in the near future, anyways. Um, but so then, yeah, to your point, that's a big quit. That's a big picture question because. Then you're thinking, okay, so we got this guy and we're starting him in a position he might not be suited quite for. And that plan is just to keep him there the whole year. Uh, you know, it's it's a tough situation. And I think we've taught everyone's time and time this whole offseason about this team made a lot of offensive moves, uh, signed a lot of guys or brought back a lot of guys for certain attacking positions. And how does that affect, you know, this whole locker room of guys that can play various roles in the attack? How do you find the right blend of, of these players? The good news is that he seems to, you know, he can play a lot of positions. So it's not the end of the world to stick him somewhere else. But as things progress, especially if some of the other striker options don't do well, I do think that it reunites a lot of conversations about whether or not we should continue to play him or we're playing him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, and, and this kind of comes back to, uh, to uh, again, talking in a big picture sense, something that I'd written about in my season preview column that was just kind of asking the questions that I think we're going to be talking about this year. And one of those was just, what's the best way to get the best combination of attacking players on the field? And I was talking about that more in the kind of, you know, in the striker debate, that's still going to be a thing. 
but you sort of I and, and hearing you you talk kind of made me put this together that and and this feels kind of obvious to say now but that Robin Lib plays right wing because that's just the open spot in this attack right he the number 10 is Reynoso that spot is taken you know the left winger is going to be Fragapane he's excellent there and he's certainly better than Lodo's there right Lid's not going to play up top because theoretically you know Amaria and probably Unu are both better options at the nine so then where's Robin Lee going to go right wing is that his best position you know maybe maybe not but that's just kind of the only open spot and so I do wonder if if as this season goes and as we see more rotation whether that's uh, you know in-game personnel subbing out you know does does Reynoso get subbed out and does Lid move over to the 10 right is that something that happens these in a personnel pinch you know do you play him up top do you play him as part of a two striker pan- tandem you know what would happen if you ran a two striker setup, ignore the attacking midfield. I don't know how this would work, but just up top, Amaria and Lud as your two strikers. That's intriguing, right? So, you know, and granted, Amaria and Unu is also intriguing. There are so many questions here and so many different attacking combinations that I think we're going to see Heath try these out. If I were Adrian Heath, I, I, there's a bunch of shiny toys in the attack here. I certainly would want to try them out in all different frames and varieties and setups. But I, I wonder how how to fit Robin Lud uh, in, in the best, in the best capacity there. Um, yeah. We also, we want to hear from you uh, on the show here. Please feel free to, uh, to drop us a comment on whatever platform you are, uh, you are watching on uh, someone from YouTube whose username is simply blah. Uh, perhaps they are summing up the rain delay. I'm not sure. Uh, but they say in the end, that was a hard fought game against a tough opponent in rough conditions. I'm happy with the result. You mentioned this earlier, Dominic, but I, I think this is kind of, what the sentiment has to be that Nationals was a very good side in the Eastern Conference is, is by all means looking to be a, an excellent side in the West. They won 1-0 at Seattle last week. That's probably one of the toughest results to get in this whole league. Um, you know, the conditions made this, you know, both teams play in the conditions, right? And so maybe it draws the the safest way to sort of sum things up there, kind of a, kind of a crapshoot as far as conditions go. Um, you know, it, two points from two games, uh, away at Philly, home against National in the rain. Is that a, is that a satisfactory result? You think through through these two two matchups? I think when you bring into play, and I, and I I brought this up with the Philly game. When you bring into play some of the personnel that is missing, when you bring into play the fact that you know our starting striker for these two games has been a guy that arrived very shortly before the season started. Uh, when when you put all the context onto it yeah i i think that drawing two good teams both of which would not surprise anybody if they're in the playoffs um this year uh one on the road yeah i don't think that's anything to be terribly upset about you know we've seen this team as recently as last season start far worse than this uh and 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 in the case of last season actually still end up kind of pulling together a good season. Uh, so, you know, I'm not terribly concerned. It, probably worth noting also, we've seen just across MLS, um, a lot of, n- very few teams sort of just like coming out and dominating their two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's only three or four teams that have six points right now. That could, there could be one or two more tomorrow. Uh, vast majority of teams got, a, you know, two draws, a draw and a win, a draw and a loss, a couple of two losses. But you know, it's it's been a choppy start, I think, for for everybody to a degree, uh, and so in that sense, that's maybe a little comforting. 
Uh, but yeah, look, Na- Nashville, as we've, we've been talking about, Nashville are a good team. They were a really good team in the East. The fact that they've come over to the West was always going to impact the playoff race here. And mm-hmm. uh, we played them with, you know, multiple, some players making their first appearance of the season. Some players, again, kind of made shift back line. Some players didn't have a full preseason, et cetera, et cetera. And we ended up with a, a fairly okay result. That, that to me, leaves plenty of room for growth. Um, and it, it doesn't terribly concern me. Some of the things we've talked about tonight are points of concern, but not. it doesn't all build up to me to like some sort of deep concern about the fate of the team or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've got another comment from uh, from Blah again. Uh, I, I won't read a lot there. I'll just leave it on the screen because I think that's a, a good sentiment um, and important to realize that especially as far as, you know, we, we had a whole conversation about defensive depth that for the first two games, the back line has been just in terms of personnel, you know, two out of the four probably optimal players there, only one of those four actually playing in their proper position. And yet there's only been one goal allowed and it was just in kind of such a chaotic situation that, you know, that that's not something, you know, what happened in that defensive play, I don't think is a big picture concern for this team. That was just sort of a game plan thing, miscommunication, whatever you want to call it, just weird. So that this team defensively looked much more solid in the second half. Yes, Nashville was attacking with nowhere near the same intensity as the first half, but you know there was progress made in the second half. Defense seemed like it maybe got figured out a little bit. All of that is is uh, you know it's it's encouraging, it's development, it's progress, um, and and that's what needs to to happen here. And, and once some starting caliber players start coming back into the eleven, um, I think that's that's going to make a difference here in a big picture sense. So to get draws out of both those games against two really good sides is an encouraging thing. Um, I do think for sure. Uh, we do want to give one final thank you to one of our sponsors, uh, to the fine folks at Pence Homes, that being Nate Pence. If you're on Minnesota United Twitter, you probably know who Nate Pence is. If you watched our show last week, you definitely do because he was on here offering uh, his Minnesota United takes, analysis, all that stuff. That's not all he does, though. Nate and his team of realtors specialize in the St. Paul and Minneapolis area, and he proudly supports various teams and organizations in the Twin Cities soccer community, like Minneapolis City, our pals over at Equal Time Soccer, and of course, SodaSoccer.com. Not only is Nate ingrained in the local soccer ecosystem here, he's also helped countless people in and around the metro area buy and sell their homes, making them very happy as a result. Just head to PenceHomes.com to get the process started or email Nate directly at Nate at PenceHomes.com. That's on your screen now. Uh, once again, make sure to tell them that Dom and Eli sent you. We're showing Jeremy just how high we can fly. We can deliver the ad reads too. Uh, we can get we can get folks checking out uh, Nate and the Pence Homes family. Uh, so give them, give them a shout for your real estate needs in the Twin Cities area. So Dominic, we'll wrap up here looking at uh, at next week away at New York Red Bulls who put up a lot of goals today in very quick fashion. Um, how, how confident are you feeling headed into that fixture and, and how uncertain is that level of confidence based on personnel availability? Well, yeah, that's going to be a big one is, is, is literally who is going to New York, you know, what, what, what squad are we bringing? Um, I, I am confident in our ability to get a result at that game uh the only issue i suppose is that my definition of result in this case is potentially just a third draw in a row um you know i again like you said personnel being a big deal i think if the personnel is not if the improvement of our personnel availability 
is not great. There's a there's a concern that uh, we are going to be the third team that New York scored three plus goals against. So uh, I I'm a little uneasy about this one, um, but but we'll see. Yeah, I, I I agree with you there. Um, I think it's you know it's certainly a tough challenge, but in the same sense that Philly was, I think um, you'll get a really good attack. You know, obviously New York's done a little bit more than Philly has so far this year, um, but really really lethal group there. Um, I'm blanking on the players name by the hat trick in the first half today, but uh, but he'll be a threat. Yeah, Lewis uh, Morgan, yeah, yes, Morgan. Um, so you know that will be an obvious issue of containment. You know, you you'd hope another week to get healthy for for some of these defenders means they'll be available if nothing else perhaps some things were figured out in the second half of this game i do think one question mark um might be what franco fragapane is next week if if he's available um you know if he's it's a situation where you know he could go but maybe it's better to just only use him the last 15 20 minutes if possible or if he's good to go but is on a 60 minute you know limit let's say fragapane's out for for hypothetical discussions sake is Bonky the answer? Is it going to strikers somehow? You know, what, what's kind of the, the personnel that, that you might use, considering we are now amid a, a big picture discussion of what the best way to get the best attackers on the field is uh, if, if Fragapane is absent on the left wing? Hmm. That's, that's interesting. You know, I, I uh, would like to see at some point the, the two striker system. That's something that even leading up to the season, you know, I kind of joined in on the tr- on the, the train for that. Um, that being said, I don't think this is the game to t- test things. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a bad idea. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I, I I wouldn't hate if if Lanwane gets the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are risks with that because that's not necessarily something that he you know that's going to be new for him, and we haven't seen what he looks like you know, hour plus minutes in one, one game. That being said, he looked pretty good for a full half uh, today. And if, if Fragapane is just completely unavailable, uh, which he could be because obviously hamstrings are very sensitive situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I do think that would be interesting. I, I think that he, uh, you know, addresses a lot of the concerns that we have. He doesn't necessarily address the rhythm problem per se, uh, but he does address some of the the, the quick reactions and, and pace and kind of dynamism and and hunger for moments, hunger for 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 shots, hunger for opportunities. He does he he feed he brings more of that to the table than than some of the other players are doing right now. So you know, especially against a pretty young Red Bull side that you know have by the way conceded in older games. Uh, mm-hmm. He 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 could be an interesting option. I I wouldn't hate to see him in that eleven. Yeah, absolutely. I have two ideas. One being more conventional, and, and what I would maybe say is is what I would put my money on if if Ragapane is out. Uh, and and that one being uh, a four three two one four three three whatever you want to call it. You know, Christmas tree situation. That if Ariaga is back and healthy, put in you know run Ariaga trap and dots and all in the midfield and just clog that up, lock that down there. Um, again, you know, Ariag is a player who's coming in uh, with the question mark surrounding his health and a thorax injury. I'll be honest. Uh, I'm going to give away my lack of medical knowledge. I thought the thorax was like a part of an insect. I didn't know that was a human anatomy thing as well. Um, hopefully Ariag and his insect body is is ready to go uh, because that sounds painful. 
uh, whatever a thorax is. Um, so hopefully he's good to go. But but that's a situation I could easily uh, see happening. Go three in midfield there, and then just Reynoso and load and give him some flexibility to work under Amari. They'd be a little bit more defensive, playing for the draw probably. But but if we were to look at this in more of a try and go out and score goals, I'm feeling enabled by the YouTube comments who say let's get weird, let's run four two two two. Was that three twos? You know, just just direct line of of two at every level. It's something the, the Red Bull system has has run in the past. You know, keep uh, keep in in uh, in Reynoso in there, and then throw in Amaria and Uno up top, and just play for the counter and play positionless and attack. That's when Minnesota United's at its best anyway. When it's not so much wingers and strikers and things, and it's just kind of bodies sprinting towards the goal. It feels sort of like jubilant and artistic that it's just you know bodies in space moving towards the goal but that's when the attack is at its best so maybe that's the best way to get the best attackers on there i don't know i think that's probably too weird for adrian heath i think a christmas tree's the the way to go to lock down the central midfield um but if we want to get a two striker set up out there and kind of work that way let's get a four two 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 i don't hate that idea it's very interesting but i think you hit the nail on the head when you said it was too weird for adrian heath I don't yeah. think Adrian Heath's the kind of manager that's going to throw that one out there, especially like on the road in an iffy game. I do think that, uh, and and to add to your point, yeah, I, if I'm not mistaken, a thorax is an entire third of an insect's body. That was that was my thought too. I thought it was like it was one the of the middle three chunk sections. Or the lower chunks. Yeah. yeah, I think it's the lower chunks. It's like head, abdomen, thorax. I think so. So yeah. I don't know what that is on a person. I'm going to assume Ariaga didn't break the entire lower third of his body. Uh, we can only hope. We can only hope. He's definitely not playing against the Red Bulls if that happens. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, if he's healthy, I don't. I think you're onto something though. With and and I do think this would be kind of a more. I don't even. This sounds like a negative. I don't really mean it as a negative, but it would be kind of a Heath thing to do, to to team him up with Dotson and Trap, and try mm-hmm. to work something with all three of them. Because again, that is a game you're going into a little concerned about the defense because of how many goals they're scoring and the fact that we've obviously conceded in our first two games uh, and, and don't have all our starters on the back line. That could be interesting. And, and, you know, it's a defensive idea. But at the same time, those are all, all three guys that can contribute to the attack. Uh, so it, it's not it's not like a painfully pragmatic idea. I think I think it still allows for opportunities for the attack it it just you know more cements the back line uh i don't know if that's going to happen or not but if it did you know I, I actually think that could be a smart way to just ensure that that the red bulls don't uh you know take advantage take advantage of spaces take advantage of players being out of position it, it would be it would be a smart a smart way to in, to ensure a strong defense you know and, and the Rebels have scored a lot of goals, albeit they have been playing teams that were expected to not defend very well this year. They played San Jose, they played Toronto. Um, we'll see what they look like against Minnesota's backline, which is perhaps a little more mature and steadfast and doesn't yes. <laughs> doesn't include a uh, Costa Rican uh, center back. Uh, no idea who you're talking about whatsoever. No, no. That. Who scored, yeah. by the way, today? So good for him. Yeah, but, uh, with another with another Slovakian midfielder who we will also pretend we don't. Who remember. I'm sure has never um, been to Minnesota. Uh, no, but no. Uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 
I actually think that's not a, I think that's a good idea. And I actually think that it can be done in a way that does not turn the game into a slog. I, I think mm-hmm. there are ways to play with all three of those guys that, that still allow for opportunity because they're all guys that can play good passes moving forward, that can take good shots, that can create you know, chances. Uh, so I, I, I think I would either like to see that or, or like to see us stick to more or less what we've been doing. I, I don't think a wild experiment isn't smart for this game. I mm-hmm. do think a sort of pragmatic experiment is, is okay. I'd welcome that. Uh, but I wouldn't want to see anything too crazy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think I like the idea of any formation that just makes it more conducive to sit back and defend and hit on the counter because I think that's that's the simplest approach that this team can succeed with. Um, yeah, so um, we've we've reached about the end of our, our time here on Post Loons, uh, but I'll give you one more chance, Dominic. Any closing thoughts, final additions? We've gotten to the part of the show where we're just trying to be weird, and so I think we should let the viewers enjoy their Saturday nights, but any closing thoughts? from you yeah you know just um i i don't i don't think panic button needs to be hit yet uh i and i don't think too many people think that but there's always gonna be somebody Uh, i think this is an okay start i think it definitely could have been better but i also think there's a lot of season left and we've yet to play a team that is expected to be poor this year Mm -hmm. i think it'd be interesting to see what we look like when we do play those kinds of teams uh some people would say we play one in, in two weeks when we play san jose uh so you know uh I, I think people kind of need to just just take be patient. Let's see what things look like after four or five games. There's a lot of things that are going well, uh, probably more than aren't going well. I, th- I think most things have have ended more positively than negatively so far. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm going to be patient. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a good a good way to put it. And and the thing that I kind of come back to um, is is just how um, how many options there are here that were that were not t- like in previous years. We've had these these questions and things, and it's been, you know, well, you know, if it isn't the person who's in the starting 11, then who is it, right? Here we have a list of, you know, in just about every position, at least one guy, if not two guys, who we can say, well, you know, if it isn't them, it's them, right? You know, if it if it isn't if it isn't O'Neal Fisher on the right, it's DJ Taylor, and we're actually able to have conversations around depth. Um, and so that's, that's just um, a, a lot more encouraging spot to be, again, two results from two games against two good teams. Even if it's missed opportunities, it's also opportunities that could have been missed. That sounded like a, a really bad cliche. I don't know how much that means, um, but you know, it's it's yeah. not bad results. Uh, yeah. You know, next week will be another really good test against New York Red Bulls, and then it's it's a play in a San Jose side that the Loons have historically been able to do very mean but very fun things to, and it's now a revenge game. Uh, so looking forward to that fixture as well. Uh, but this concludes uh, this week's episode of Post Loons by the Soda Soccer Family. Uh, thank you very much for giving us some time on your Saturday night a little bit later than I think all of us expected with the rain delay. Hopefully you are safe and uh, to quote Dominic from the beginning of the show, nice and toasty and lukewarm, uh, just like tonight's fixture. Uh, again, we thank you for listening and uh, and we will uh, see you soon, except it'll probably be Jeremy who sees you soon. So uh, on behalf of Jeremy, see you soon. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>